Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. This week, we will be announcing each of our top 10 films of 2020. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what was your best movie-going experience of 2020? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in Chicago, and my favorite film experience in 2020 was really leaning into the 2020 experience. We did a Studio Ghibli marathon and watched all of Miyazaki's movies, just hanging out on the couch one weekend, just cranked through all 10 of them in one weekend, and it was great. I think that was definitely my favorite film experience this year. Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, I am Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I, again, also leaned into the 2020 of it all, and I kind of erected a outdoor screening experience in my backyard and had some people over, and we watched um, both Mamma Mia films. And those films are, I found out, best experienced with a group of, like, giggly friends <laughs> outside. You're singing along. You're gushing over what a perfect film the Mamma Mia Here We Go Again is. Um, we had a blast. <laughs> that sounds great. And this week we have a guest on the show with us. Nick, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Nick. I did an episode with you guys over the summer, and I'm so grateful to be back. Um, I live in Brooklyn. I similarly like pop culture and love uh, the things you guys go over on this show. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to be talking about 2020 because... While it was a disaster of a year, at least we got to enjoy pop culture. Yeah, it's true. We're so glad to have you. What was your best movie-going experience of 2020? You know, I got to see Parasite in theaters maybe like three weeks before uh, the coronavirus, the infamous coronavirus, came to New York. So, like, it was before we knew how bad. I got to go see Parasite in theaters, and it was just the perfect theater movie. Um, yeah. just like audience reactions to all of the tension. There's like comedy in it. So it, it's just, it was the perfect theater movie and I'm so grateful I got to see it in theaters. Yeah. I mean, thank God we didn't all have to watch Parasite at home. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> um, well, like I said, this is our top 10 episode of the year. Um, it's my favorite episode that we do every year. This is our fifth or sixth year doing it, I think. And, um, we have a blast each time. So before we each read off what our top 10 lists um, are, I do want to ask y'all, what are some movies that you didn't get a chance to see before you made your list that, you know, came out in 2020? I'll say this this year, I feel like I got a good amount of the movies that I thought I want would, would that might have made my list. Um, I think the movies that I definitely didn't see that could have ended up making my list are News of the World the new Tom Hanks movie, um, the new Borat movie, and then Martin Eden. Interesting. Yeah, I Martin Eden also, that's something I always was thinking about watching, but never made it around to. Same. <laughs> Nick, what about you? 
I mean, I missed Mank, and I love David Fincher, but I, I don't know. I missed Mank. I missed um, Pieces of a Woman. Uh, Another Round is one that I really want to see and just didn't get to before uh, we, you know, met for this. But uh, I also missed uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, and I like Sorkin. I just never got around to a two-and-a-half-hour movie about, you know bunch of white people but uh <laughs> yeah so those are all on my list i'm especially excited for another round yeah yeah same so i also did not get to see another round um that's on my list as well um some others of mine are ma rainey's black bottom one night miami the nest and the kid detective those are all that i've heard great buzz about but just didn't make it to um so keep all of that in mind as you are hearing our top 10 list that if one of your favorites is missing, we might not have seen it yet. Um, okay, so are y'all ready to get down and figure out what our top 10s are? I'm excited to hear what they are. Absolutely. Lucas, I would like you to start us off. Oh, I can kick it off. Okay. Um, this year, my number 10 movie is <laughs> a movie that I actually put off seeing for a very long time. I saw the trailer and I was like, I'm not going to watch it. Um, I heard good things about it, and I said I'm not going to watch it. And finally, in January, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm just going to watch this movie and see how I feel about it. Um, And that movie is I'm Your Woman. Um, It is a 70s mob drama from the eyes of a mobster's wife who just found out she's in a 70s mob mob drama. Um, I... (laughs) really liked this movie way more than i thought i was going to it's directed by julia hart written by her and her husband um jordan horowitz who is i think most famous from being the guy who said moonlight you actually won best picture (laughs) oh Um, yes very familiar with uh, him turning over his la la land oscar um yeah it's produced by both of them they um are great i i think they're the work that they've done together is really interesting she's directed um uh fast color that was her movie from 2018 that was also really good um i'm your woman though i think really stuck with me just because it it digs into a lot of i think the tropes of like a lot of those mob movies um but from a perspective of somebody kind of on the outside of not knowing a lot of the details and trying to get in not or not not trying to get involved but trying to just understand what's happening with her life um and you know, under the, under the guise of all of this mob stuff going on. Um, it's really, really interesting. It does a lot with Rachel Brosnahan's character um, and also does a lot with, I think, race relations at the time. And I thought that was very interesting from what I would say is a pretty small movie um, coming to Amazon Prime. So that's I'm Your Woman. It's great. I'm trying to think if I've seen Rachel Brosnahan in anything other than Maisel. Um, do you watch house of cards oh barely not really okay um yeah so i've definitely seen the trailers for this and i'm intrigued but i haven't made it around to i'm your woman yet yeah i I have not seen it but it sounds great it's fun it's one of the more fun movies that i watched this year so i would definitely say go for it. that's great to hear because in catching up on a lot of 2020 movies there's a lot that's like very good but i wouldn't call it fun (laughs) and so when i can add another like fun movie to the list i'm always happy to do so definitely um okay well great way to get us started nick what is your number 10 my number 10 is emma i i think i have a fondness for it by it's the last movie i saw in theaters before 
uh, everything got shut down. So I think <laughs> I have a fondness for it there more than I remember it being a wonderful movie. But um, I think that there's just a rule across the world that if Bill Nighy is in a movie, it is like 50% better. <laughs> Agreed. And this proved that. Yes. Um, I'm not typically a trailer guy, but this just had a great trailer that just, it made me want to see it. And instead of like going back and rewatching the movie, I've just gone and watched the trailer and been super satisfied with it. I also remember liking the aesthetic of it. It was also the first Anya Taylor Joy movie I saw. And I just thought she mm. was really good in it. What a it's great a way to get her. started on her. Yeah. Yeah. I miss thoroughbreds and I will mention thoroughbreds later, but I missed it. And I know that that's kind of, is that the thing that launched her? That's what comes to um, my mind. I think split was before thoroughbreds. Oh yes. Which I didn't the witch, see. I would say the, the witch was, was her first one. Oh, that which I haven't the, seen. The witch is what I hear film people talk about. Like when they talk about her. Well, Emma was a fun exposure to her. That's for sure. Oh, I'm so glad that you got to see that. That was also my last in theater, like, same experience. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I know. I mean, uh, I'm glad that we all got to experience that in a theater. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my number 10 is, um, the number 10 spot is always really hard for me on these lists. It's the one that I feel like so many different things can fit into. Um, but I ended up narrowing it down to Shirley, um, the movie about Shirley Jackson starring Elizabeth Moss and directed by Josephine Decker. Um, have y'all seen any jo Josephine Decker movies before? I don't think so. The only thing that I had seen of hers before this was, I think, um, in 2018, she had Madeline's Madeline. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't and, realize it was the same. Yeah. So based on just those two movies I've experienced with Josephine Decker, <laughs> it seems like her style is telling a drama in the style of a horror film. So that's one thing that I found so fascinating about Shirley. It's about a famous horror writer, Shirley Jackson, um, who she and her husband take in a younger couple into their house and she finds inspiration for her next book, like while, whilst having that younger couple in their home. And this movie is like, like I said, it, it is a drama about marriage and academia and, um, but at the same time, it is shot and constantly feels like you are watching a horror film and you're watching people descend into madness. Whether they actually are or not doesn't really matter. That's what the film makes you feel like. And I found this movie just hypnotic and just riveting. Like, Elizabeth Moss always impresses me, but her turn in this film um, was funny and sickening and um sharp in so many amazing ways um i just really was riveted by every single moment of this film and it was a film that i didn't expect to um care about as much as i did but i loved it did either of you get a chance to see shirley i didn't it was one of the ones that like it came out i feel like it came out over the summer like right as everything was getting real weird and i was just like i can't handle this i might see it later yeah. i might not and i never got around to it <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah I similarly I, did not see it, but I remember having the exact same moment you just described. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to say also, when I say it feels like a horror film, it definitely isn't scary, but it's disorienting in the way that horror films are. And yeah. um, that I think is a very cool technique that she has. She's a filmmaker that after, when I saw Madeline's Madeline, I thought, Maybe this, like, kind of filmmaker isn't really for me. And then after this, I'm really can't wait to see what comes next from Josephine Decker. Um, Okay, let's move on to number nine. Lucas, let's get us going. All right. My number nine is a movie we talked about last time, Promising Young Woman. Um, Real fresh. Real fresh. I, I watched this movie twice, and I just had a blast it's it's a movie that's hard to say that like you had fun watching it but like <laughs> there's so much good stuff in this movie to see like visually um i love the way it's shot i love the way it's cast i love everybody in it um carrie mulligan is fantastic i really love the way emerald F- fennel um is it fennel or is it fennel i don't fennel know sounds weird <laughs> I, I started saying Fennel after you said Fennel on the podcast. Yeah. So I took I my said cue Fennel from you. Because I just assumed that it was Fennel. Let's, let's go with Fennel? it. Who knows? I'm going to Fennel. I'm doing Great. Fennel. Emerald Fennel is fantastic. I'm now catching up on the newest season of The Crown, and she plays Camilla. And it's just fantastic watching her do amazing work in the acting world and in the directing and writing world. She's just She's really killing it, and I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, yeah, she's having yeah. a good year. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. A real great year. <laughs> um, Nick, what is your number nine? So my number nine, and I was finalizing this like uh, earlier today, but Boy State, and it feels so low on the list. But I loved Boy State. I ended up watching it again, and... You know, it wasn't on my radar in like the festival season, but all of a sudden it was everywhere. And I just, I love this movie. I know it's it's weird to talk about like characters in a documentary, but boy, did they get lucky. I mean, um, I know you guys talked about it on the show, so I don't feel like um, I'm breaking new ground, but you know, the the Steven is such an amazing, like you could call him the lead of the movie and they they just got so lucky the filmmakers with with who <laughs> showed up um i just thought it was structured brilliantly i love how much the crew was able to get done in 6 days like they worked so hard and i just i i loved it and i liked it even more on the second viewing which is weird to say about a movie where there's a lot riding on the ending Um, And I I just listened to an interview with the filmmakers, and this quote just is sticking with me. Are 17-year-old boys learning from politicians, or are politicians learning from 17-year-old boys? And I think that that really struck me with um, how I'm digesting Boys State. That sounds so accurate to how that movie is put together. Just like, I think that's, that's a lot of the feeling that I came out of that movie with of just like, who boy, how does politics work now? Like this is <laughs> depressing and yet exciting. And I think just the way, yeah, I think it's an incredible documentary and the way all that came together is just, I impressive is the word that I keep feeling like I have to say about it. And I really want Girls State as a follow-up. Oh, yes, absolutely. Very curious to see the comparisons. Yeah. Boys State is a movie that I really wish I could have gotten a chance to rewatch before I made my list. Because it it's one of my runner-ups. You know, I, I did 
when I saw it earlier in the year, I could have, I, at that mo- moment was like, oh, this will definitely be in my top 10. And, you know, it is one of the best documentaries I've seen all year. And, um, I also, I have such an affinity for really good storytelling about teenagers. And usually we get that in the form of like different teen rom-coms, you know, um, or every now and then we'll get like a ladybird that's like really special. But to see a documentary take on teenagers in such a honest and emotionally compelling way, um, I loved Boy State as well. I'm so glad. Yeah, the some of the characters were so like brilliant and grounded. And then there's that kid, Rob, who just feels like he's a Friday Night Lights character. It was <laughs> yeah. it was such a yeah. flavorful movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. I'm so glad that this is that it came out this year. Um, well, my number nine pick is Let Them All Talk from Steven Soderbergh. So when I first saw Let Them All Talk, and we talked about it on the podcast, I really, really liked it. I was like, this is such a great movie that, um, you know, I, I, I think I said on the podcast something like, if I could watch one of these every night. Like, if if, <laughs> if they made movies like this, like an, an abundance of them, I would watch one a night. Um and then I watched it for a second time with my family over the holidays and was really like wowed by it instead of just really enjoying it. Um I think that this is a movie that on your second viewing you can very really appreciate how special it is. Um I first of all, I think we have a shortage of movies like this that are mid-budget but still feature movie stars you know um and just for that alone that's not the reason it's in my top 10 but for that alone i have a deep appreciation for it um and then in addition to that um i think i just really also love movies that let the characters reveal themselves via conversation and that's like all this movie is it's just a, it's called let them all talk because it's really just a series of conversations on a beautiful beautiful boat and um i love the way steven soderbergh like embraces these characters embraces its setting um doesn't need to throw in more plot than necessary and i think it's so restrained in that way and I, I had such a wonderful time with it. So I I couldn't conceive of a version of my list that didn't have Let Them All Talk. Amazing. I will check it out. I'm I'm super behind, especially on Soderbergh in general. Yeah. And I think I I I don't watch every Soderbergh movie, but um when I do watch him, I am always so enchanted. And um this was no exception. Yeah. I'm hoping that Lucas Hedges becomes a Soderbergh repeat, you know, actor. Cause I hope so. Yeah, that'd be great. He was so wonderful in this and I could see just a, a great future, but with the two of them. Um, okay. Let's move on to number eight. Um, Lucas, what is your number eight? My number eight is Emma. Um, I, I do love me some Jane Austen. And this one is, I think, unlike any other Jane Austen movie, it's a visual delight. Uh, not that the others aren't, but specifically this one, I think having being directed by a music video director, I think really um, puts an interesting turn on 
this kind of material. Um, rewatching it for the second time, again, this was we watched this movie right before everything shut down, and I liked it. I did like it, but rewatching it a second time, I just got to see how much joy there is in this movie and how fun it is to watch. Um, I think the music choices are also just brilliant. Um, and I come back to the casting again. I absolutely love everyone in this movie. <laughs> Bill Nye makes a movie for sure. It's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, I think one of the more fun um, Jane Austen movies. I, again, I love all Jane Austen movies, but a lot of them are very austere and, um, uh, elegant in a in a very I think referential way and I think this one is like pays a lot of heed to the source material but also uh, allows itself to have a ton of fun um, with that mix and Emma as a source material is one of the funnier ones that you can play around with a little bit more um, but I just really enjoyed this one so much Emma's great Emma's great Lucas I think that your um, appreciation for Jane Austen and period pieces is what makes our podcast work. Like I think <laughs> we're, we often like have things in common and we have things that we disagree on, but I think the fact that you and I can come together in that sphere is what has like kept the spark alive in this podcast for this many years. It's true. Yeah. It's yeah. True. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm actually going to level with you or in that I really, I, I actively don't watch period pieces and this opened my world to like i am so open to it and i would love if more period films were shot like this okay so nick have you seen the joe wright Kira knightley pride and prejudice no well that's Oof. the first one that you gotta watch if, if that's something okay. you're gonna start watching that is my one of my all-time favorite movies it's one that i watch like twice a year okay um, in in our emma review we talked about how i, I interesting i think it is to be a companion piece to the to emma that 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 pride and prejudice and this emma are really interesting to watch together so that's where i would get you started all right i'm down and i also will just say that when i was in college the the gwyneth paltrow emma made me think i hated period pieces <laughs> and eventually i found <laughs> out that was not the case so emma has a long history with me as far as like whether period pieces are important to me or not so yeah, I hope that we can, maybe we can get you some others that you'll love. Okay, I'll walk away with a list. <laughs> Great. Yes. Great. Okay, well, um, Nick, what is your number eight on your list? Mine is Minari, which I just watched over the weekend. And um, I, I, this is such a charming movie. I love the performances. The, the music was, like, excellent. Uh, the cinematography, like made us feel like we were there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if we go into spoilers in the end of your review, but what an unexpectedly stressful third act. Um, <laughs> I just, I want to spend more time with these characters, with this family, because I just, you fall in love with them and all of their layers. And I just, this is a movie I walked away from just feeling like, I'm so glad movies like this exist and I'm so grateful to get to watch movies. Yeah. So Minari is something that I found, I thought was so special. Um, I went into it expecting to like see this tale of an immigrant family and like learn about these characters and be transported to this world. And what I was really surprised by was how, how much it reminded me of my own childhood. Um, even though I'm not from an immigrant family, 
Um, I did grow up with a father who had a dream of like his having his own farm and it was kind of like his dream and not the family's. And um, so that I deeply related to. And I found so much in Minari that like really evoked some, probably some pretty deeply buried childhood feelings and memories. (laughs) Um, And so for that reason, I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, I really loved the family relationships here. And I think going into it, I was like, um, a Korean family starts a farm in 1980s Arkansas. Like, can't wait for all the racism. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. but really, like, the fact that it really just dealt with, and obviously there's there's racism involved, but I think more of a, a, a subtler kind and, and less of a, you know, aggressive antagonistic kind. Um, and so it and so it really does center more on the family relationship and the dynamics there, um, which I really loved. I, I really loved getting to see that. I loved the cast um, as well. And I just think the I don't know, this is one that I will definitely be be revisiting, even though it didn't make my list. Can we also just talk about what great kid performers that this movie had? Yeah. I mean, so good. I, I always feel inclined to call that out when you find when there are kids that have such important roles in a film that, you know, are so, so sparkling. Yeah, I mean, the, they all have such great layers, too. I mean, like the the sister character just is able to lead when she needs to and feel like an adult uh, when she needs to, as well as like the daughter um, obviously the son just he is able to do so much he's like you know kind of a dick when he's you know <laughs> being a kid he's very sweet when he's you know a grandson it's I don't know where he came from but he is so great as a performer another performance in Minari that like I thought was really really special was um the character that like comes to help out on the farm um I believe that's played by Bill Patton, and I hadn't seen him in anything since Remember the Titans, and <laughs> I loved Remember the Titans, and so it was wild to, like, see this performer who meant so much to me when I was younger, like, in this new role. I I was really excited to see him again. Yeah, when we were watching it, my girlfriend was like, Remember the Titans, and I was like, Armageddon. That's the, <laughs> that's the difference. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Minari is super special. I hope that a lot of people will be checking it out as Oscar season like progresses. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, my number eight is Mangrove, um, part of the small act series from Steve McQueen. Um, I went into I I didn't get to watch all of the small acts films. Um, I watched this one and I watched Lovers Rock and. Um, I watched Lover's Rock first and I had heard a lot of hype about Lover's Rock. So I really had high expectations for it. And when I watched it, I was, I enjoyed it, but I was a little underwhelmed, I think based on the expectations I'd been set from the hype. Um, so then I watched Mangrove second and Mangrove really blew me away. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. It, it is, um, about based on a true story of the Mangrove nine, which was a group of defendants in a trial in London um, about, um, and it kind of deals with uh, police brutality and harassment of this group of black Londoners um, who are immigrants and they, the police are kind of harassing this specific restaurant and group of people. 
and um the trial uh what i love about this movie i should say is that this is at its heart a courtroom drama right or on its face i should say it's a courtroom drama but when you actually sit down to watch it it is so much more than just a courtroom drama and i really appreciated how fantastic steve mcqueen is at Introducing me to a world, introducing me to a culture that I am completely unfamiliar with, um, really embedding you in the personal lives of the characters and it, and this culture before getting you to the plot element of the courtroom drama. And the way that he so lovingly showcases these characters and these ideals and these struggles um was just it was top of the line magnificent filmmaking and um this movie is long but I think it earns every minute it that it takes up um and I don't get to say that about most long movies and um I think it's getting uh, very much compared to Trial Chicago 7 because those are both courtroom dramas that came out this year that deal with like police brutality and I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan and I really loved that movie but they're doing such different things and this film is doing so much more on an emotional level um than just an educational level and I I probably will have more coherent thoughts to say like a week or two after I've seen it um but right now all I can say is that I think it's really magnificent I did not see it, but I love Steve McQueen. I mean, like, he's got to be one of the better directors of the decade, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen any of the Small um, X movies yet? I haven't. No, I mean, I, I uh, saw on Letterboxd, you guys have watched them, and it made me very, very curious. Yeah, I, uh, of all the performances I want to call out, I think Sean Parks, who plays kind of like the the, the lead character, there's, there's, a, there's multiple leads, but he's, I would say, the most lead of the leads um he plays the character of frank critchlow he i mean this is one of the performances of the year in my opinion and i would expect a best actor nomination for it i i'm hoping i actually i'm very curious i don't know what the oscar qualifications are because of this being as part of a series i don't know how all that works but i'm sure we'll find out um okay lucas what is your number seven my number seven film is Another Round. <laughs> yes. Um, and since you guys haven't seen it, I definitely say this should be on the list uh, very high up of things that you should you should watch soon. Um, this is a Danish movie. It's generally it's about a midlife crisis, uh, but it's four men in their 40s. They decide um, to test out a theory that increasing your normal blood alcohol level, um, it, it just improves your daily life. It makes you... you know, better at things and social situations, all of the stuff. It's just better. Let's see if it works. So they try it. I think surprisingly and unsurprisingly, like things go, you know, the way that you'd think they'd go. And then they also go the way that you uh, don't think they would go. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed this movie. I, at first I was like, this is pretty formulaic. You know, they're going to like it for the first part and then they're not going to like it at the end. And then, you know, they're going to realize what they have and their midlife crisis will be over. Um, and so I, I think, a lot of those um, kind of story beats are there, but I think it does it in very um, interesting ways. And the way kind of they, each of the, they, you really get into each of these characters lives. Um, 
and kind of how they interact with each other and how they interact with their their friends and families. And it really just gives you an interesting look at what does life mean to different people and what is, you know, what is the the role of alcohol play into that? And so I've, this is a Danish movie and um, it's alcohol is a huge part of Danish life. And so it, it, it digs into the, into a little bit of, um, you know, what is it like for high schoolers to, to be drinking and stuff like that? So the, uh, there's a lot of like alcohol awareness and um, <laughs> yet the celebration of alcohol as well, just kind of mixed together, I think, in a very interesting way that you would never get in the United States. <laughs> It'd be one or the other. Um, and so I just I thought it was beautiful. And it surprisingly, I think, has one of the most moving dance sequences you'll ever see um, from Mads Mikkelsen, who is phenomenal. He's he's an amazing actor. I love him. And this is something that just like really shows his true talent i didn't see the hunt but it's it's another collaboration between the two right what did you think yes what do you think of their sort of ongoing dynamic i would see a million movies from them together it's (laughs) thomas vinterberg is i think a really great director those are the only two movies of his that i've seen is the hunt and another round um but those two together i think make me want to go back and watch some of his other stuff um his daughter died um in the middle of filming this um, and he kind of took a break and then came back to film it and, um, ended up kind of changing, you know, some of the movie, um, I think to fit more of his, his, his mindset and stuff like that as part of this. And it really, I think comes through, um, not from a plot situation, um, but just like the way it's shot, the way it is a celebration of life and everything like that. I think, um, it's, it's a beautiful movie that's very unique. So I would check it out. Yeah, me yeah. too. Um, Nick, what is your number seven pick? So I have to give you guys credit for this because I, it was not on my radar whatsoever until I was just kind of scrolling Letterboxd. Um, I watched Shithouse last night and I loved that movie. Like it made me (laughs) so, it's like, and I, I feel like a lot of people have had this reaction, but it is like traumatically, realistically personal. Like I kind of wish I had been able to watch this movie like, right before my freshman year of college or like somewhere in senior year of high school just because definitely I think it's I don't it's so hard to portray that reality like for me it was less about being homesick and more about like not knowing if I'm happy in college or not and boy it just I don't think it's recency bias for having watched it last night I really think that this is one of my favorites of the year. And I think that I would have liked it in every chapter of my life, which I can't say for every recent film I've seen. Yeah. I love a good conversation movie. Something about just like, like we've mentioned, people just having conversations is so important to me. And so, yeah, I'm so glad that you got a chance to watch this movie. Where did this kid come from? Cooper, whatever. Um, He is, um, you know, I don't know where he went to school or anything. He's 23 right now. So this is like, He's real fresh out of college. I'm so mad right now. I know. (laughs) I know. But um, he made, he had this as an, either he made it as a short or he had an idea for it as a short. And he kind of started, formed a relationship with Jay Duplass. And Jay Duplass kind of like mentored him throughout the process of like getting this made. um, From, is from what I can tell. So he had, he had some good, like people, I think helping him out, not helping him out making it, but necessarily maybe giving him advice. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but you're right. He came out of nowhere and I can't wait to see more from him. Yeah. Thank you guys for, you know, putting it <laughs> on my radar. Like this is truly yeah. one of my, uh, 
I don't know. Like the whole time I'm like cringing with like, oh no, I have totally been that guy at some point. <laughs> but um, yeah. boy, I, it really, it really hit me. Right. Uh, well, thank you for that. My um, number seven pick is And Then We Danced. This is a Georgian, like coming of age, queer dance romance film. Right, it's um, right in your wheelhouse. And all of those things sound like, I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 sign me up. Um, <laughs> the day that I saw Emma in theaters, um, I also saw this movie, right? I, I, I did like two in a day, and it was a Sunday. I was so enchanted by it. And uh, similarly to Mangrove, um, I was introduced like to a culture that I was completely unfamiliar with. and And then we danced is also so incredible at really like embedding you into a culture and Georgian, the country of Georgia, Georgian culture, I couldn't be more unfamiliar with. It's, it's, um, even though it's in a modern country, it feels very old school. And the fact that they value things like this, um, style of dancing and the style of music that feels very old and traditional, but is still incredibly important to this day to their culture, um, was amazing to witness. Um, it fought, it's about like this main guy character who you can tell like being successful in this field of specific Georgian dance is so important to him. And he lives in a community of young people who they're all dancers and none of them seem to have very much money and everything's very connected to their family, but dance is like the most important thing of them all. And, another young man shows up to the dance company and seems to be like his direct competition. Um, But then he also seems to start to pine for this young man and seeing their relationship develop and seeing the personality and the independence of our lead character develop was so beautiful. Um, I think Another thing that made me really love this movie is that this movie, because it's about dancers, um, it really is likes to examine the male body. And sometimes that's sensual. Sometimes it's incredibly athletic. Sometimes it's tender and familial and intimate. But throughout the film, it's just an examination of what, how the male body moves. And I love to watch it. It was so fascinating. Um, and I, of course, am also just like a sucker for a great tragic romance. I'm a sucker for people pining after one another. And this movie has plenty of that. So I, I really love this film. Um, I also just want to point out that it's one of the most controversial films of the year, not necessarily here in the U.S., but back in Georgia, a very conservative you know, area still, there were huge protests at like the like one or two theaters that were showing this film. Um, the director, when he was making it in Georgia, he is he's a Swedish director whose family is from Georgia. And so when he came to Georgia to make it, they would have to like lie about the film subject matter. Um, the queerness of the film in order to like allow to be um, to shoot in certain locations. Um, They had bodyguards present at all shooting scenes because of the danger that they were in, like making this film. Um, And so I'm just very grateful that even through all that struggle that this film was made and was made so beautifully. 
Um, did either of y'all have a chance to see this? No, but it sounds very moving. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a darker, sadder, call me by your name in some ways, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, en- I ended up watching this film last week um, and I really enjoyed it. I was very surprised by it. Like you said, like I learned a lot about Georgian culture in it and like it really does do a good job of kind of immersing you into, um, you know, what is important and to these people and what... Um, what, what, what they value and what is is dangerous and stuff like that um, without really kind of hitting you over the head with it. And so I love the yeah. relationship in it. I think it's a beautiful story that really, I think, gives a lot of depth to um, not only its main character, but also just like the feelings that you have around, um, you know, a passion that you have, like dance. Like, I just think yeah. I am not good at dance. I have no interest in dance, but like I got really passionate about dance <laughs> while watching that movie. <laughs> so good yeah and what i also like about this movie is how full fleshed it is it's not you know this queer romance is a main part of it but the movie does a really good job about fleshing out his the main character's relationships to like his best friend his brother his mother his uh mentor you know it it doesn't it's not a solely focused on one relationship in this person's life um and that's what makes it a little bit more than just a queer romantic film. Um, Lucas, what is your number six pick? My number six pick is Baby Teeth. This is a movie set in Australia um, by director Shannon Murphy. Um, this is the first thing I've seen of hers, but this stars Eliza Scan- Scanlon as a very ill teenager who ends up falling in love with a drug dealer she meets. And um, uh, kind of her relationship with with him, as well as what is, you know, kind of, expands to be her parents relationship with him and i really enjoyed everything about this movie i think going into it i was like i i'm I'm not in the mood to hear about you know like a a a teenager with cancer they never go into details about like what her illness is but um the fact that the fact that she's sick um the fact that her parents are you know sad and scared and everything like that and just kind of expanding on you know how 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 their how her life is changing and how they're letting her kind of change her life as she's dealing with this illness and how they're dealing with it and what this new relationship ends up um kind of doing to the way she looks at life um i think i think it's a beautiful movie like co- the colors in this movie are fantastic um she wears a lot of wigs um which is a lot of fun to see and just kind of the way they 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 handle wigs um meaning different you know feelings or the way that it's expressed through different colors and things like that i thought was really beautiful um eliza scanlon's great as i mean as always um ben mendelson and essie davis two great australian actors who very rarely i think get to be australian um so it was great to great to see them in this as her parents just fantastic i really liked this movie a lot did you guys see this i did i did lucas i gotta say i was I'm so surprised to see that this is on your top 10. Um, Why? Yeah. I don't know. It's not a movie that I would pick that you would love. Um, (laughs) Not that I think you would dislike it, but that it would be so high on your top 10 of the year is really surprising to me. I did watch it, and I think it's really wonderful. Um, What I love about this movie is that it's not afraid to be very complicated. Um, Yeah. And not, not in plot, but in the fact that, like, there's a lot of complicated relationship dynamics and feelings, and there are no easy answers in this movie. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of times characters are doing things in it that you're like, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I really couldn't t- 
tell you if they're making a good choice or a bad choice. Um, and I appreciate a movie that's willing to wade into those waters. Um, also, another thing I loved about this movie is that, like, I don't know about y'all, but I found I, I noticed a theme in my top ten um, and in kind of a lot of my movie watching this year. A lot of movies dealing with grief. Um, and I don't know if that's coincidence or because of the year we're all having. Um, but this movie deals with grief in one of the most visceral ways possible. And so um, if that's something that you would find comforting, I think that this is a great watch. Yeah. I think this is one that sat with me. I think it, I think yeah. it was one that when I watched it, I was like, I really like that movie. That was really good. And then the longer I sat with it, the more I was just like, I'm still thinking about this movie. And I think yeah. it's like what you said, like it is very complicated the way that it, it deals with the relationships. And every character in this movie has a very complicated relationship with another character in this movie. And so it just continues to um, kind of pull on those threads as it goes throughout, which I think is really, really interesting. Uh, where Absolutely. is it available? I would love to be able to watch it available on amazon prime amazing yes um wonderful uh nick what is your number six my number six is promising young woman i mean yeah talk about uh nice. movies that are very colorful with wigs and feature grief um <laughs> uh i i love this movie i watched this last weekend it's the only movie this year where i was like fuck it, I'm spending the $20 to rent it opening weekend. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad that I did. Um, it's been a while since I saw a Carrie Mulligan-led movie, because I've always appreciated what she does, but boy, she did so much in this, and I just loved um, everything that she did. I know that you guys talked about it pretty recently, but um, how can you not have a crush on Bo Burnham in this movie? That's what I've been saying for years. I know. Like, I, I, he was, he started, um, I started paying attention to him after eighth grade, and then I started watching his specials, and I was like, okay, this dude is really talented, and he's got, um, huge anxiety issues, and that's why he doesn't perform as often, but this was, like, the perfect role for him, because he can do, like, cute guy, he can do charming, he can do, like, playful, and then he can do the, like dark oh my god turn and it's not that he's the most dark part of this movie but it's the most surprising and yeah I just I loved everything this movie did and and the little casting choices between the opening scene being Adam Brody Sam Robinson and another guy and Adam Brody's like the sweet dude from the mid 2000s and then (laughs) his moment in the car where you see his brain change just a little bit um, that's where it's, if I'm sold on a movie within the first five minutes, like I'm all in. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what an opening this film has like, yeah. One of those standout openings, um, of the year, I think. Yep. Um, well, I'm really glad to see that it was on your list. Uh, my number six pick is a movie that the first time I watched it, I thought, okay, maybe you just love this because you're really emotional right now. And then I, I kind of held off thinking, like, maybe it's going to be on my top ten, maybe it's not. Um, I watched it again last night and immediately was like, oh, no, no, no. This is an incredibly important film and will be for the rest of your life. Um, and that is this teen body horror rom-com called Spontaneous. <laughs> Spontaneous is, I think, 
one of the most um, hidden gems of 2020. Like, no one I know has seen or is talking about Spontaneous. Um, I, I'm assuming both of y'all have not seen it, correct? No, I have not. Okay. Spontaneous is the directorial debut from Brian Duffield. Um, it is about a group of teenagers, um, particularly one girl in high, in high school, who members of their senior class start spontaneously combusting, blowing up in a, a really disgusting splay of blood. And no one knows why. And it's about what it's like to be a teenager when this really um, um, remarkable thing is happening and tragic thing is happening. And also you're falling in love at the same time with someone. And, you know, I am a sucker for, like I said earlier, a really great, um, smartly told story about teenagers. And teen rom-coms are, like, where we get a lot of those. I think of my favorite teen movies of my life and, like, 10 Things I Hate About You are is at the top of my list, Clueless. These movies about teenagers falling in love but that have a wicked sense of humor and really amazing casts. And that is exactly what this movie has. It stars Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer. And let me tell you, these are two performers I loved watching every minute that they had with each other on screen. Charlie Plummer is so charming as like a 2020 romantic lead. He's not macho. He's not um, like super, I, I don't, this is, I hate to say this, but he's not like a model, you know, he's great yeah. looking. He's fine looking, but he's not like a mo the model guy that you would kind of usually cast as your romantic lead in a high school movie. Um, but he has this sense of humor and charm and sweetness that you can't help but fall in love with when you watch. And Catherine Langford is playing kind of like a ballsy, surly, um, teenage girl character that you also find really charming. And they, this movie, like I said, is about like teenagers just trying to survive remarkable tragic circumstances and this movie was made before the pandemic but as I was watching it I couldn't believe how devastatingly timely it was for this year um in a in a film where the none of the characters know why everyone around them is dying and there's not really much that they can do to stop it and the powerlessness that they all felt I deeply related to that this year <laughs> i wonder why um and in addition to like kind of like the pandemic timeliness of it all it probably because it was made before the pandemic is really more i think of a commentary on what gen z is having to suffer through as a generation um between school shootings and climate change and now a pandemic this is a generation that has it really fucking rough and what does being a teenager look like when you're having to live through all of that? Um, and this movie is really good at capturing, I think, the way teenagers really talk and emote. Um, they are angry and they curse too much and they think <laughs> like middle fingers are like the ultimate retort in ways that as an adult feels 
obviously immature, but as a teenager feels so authentic. Um, and I just was really blown away by this film. And in addition to like capturing teenagers well and speaking to this moment, this movie is also just like, I made me incredibly emotional the way it explains and teaches like how one person experiences grief and then has to continue living through that grief. Um, I think everyone can relate to um, the fear of that and or the the lived experience of that. So I really recommend people see Spontaneous. It's I think I don't I don't think everyone's going to love it as much as I do and have as deep of a connection to it as I did. But I do think you're going to be so surprised at like how good it is for not having heard of it. I am completely sold. I don't love uh, the body <laughs> horror aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, gore is not my not my cup of tea, which is why I haven't watched this, but I might have to give it a try. We'll see. I w- what I'll say about that is that this movie is pretty bloody, um, but tonally does not feel like a horror film. There, you know, it is a comedy at, throughout most of the film, and it, it's very, very funny. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of blood. I think that they did a really good job. Like I said, it has teenagers spontaneously combusting. I think I was really impressed with how visceral all of those moments felt, but also what the restraint that was shown. Um, in I think they could have gone for much more of a horror aspect or much more disturbing. And instead they, they held back um, in ways that I appreciated. So I am um, similarly not into gore, but that sounds very, very cool. Yeah, it is. It is. There was a lot. I had a list of teen rom-coms that came out this year. There were quite a few and I didn't get to see all of them. Um, But this one, I think just based on, Trailers and buzz, like, I think takes the cake with all of them. It's it's pretty special. Um, Lucas, what is your number five pick? My number five is Wolfwalkers. Um, this movie is great. Um, I have really loved Cartoon Saloon's um, animated films. They've made some really beautiful ones um, in, I think, a very, very interesting style of animation. I think this one kind of pushes it the most. Um, if you check out, um, some of their other movies, you'll, you'll, you'll know they have a really good story craft. Um, but I think this one to me feels like their best one. It's definitely an instant classic. I think, um, it's about a medieval girl from England who comes to Ireland with her dad, um, to, well, he comes to hunt the wolves. She comes to live in the town. Um, but they are, it kind of takes a turn as she starts to befriend, um, one of the the cares of the forest, and I I think this does a lot a lot in a in a animated movie. Um, it has a lot of conversations about obviously the environment, but also about religion and community. Um, and I it's I was really impressed by it. It has a third act that, um, from a storytelling perspective, I think is brilliant. I, I and I love it, it keeps coming back to the artwork for me though is how well it's drawn um and kind of the style of kind of the textures as well as the um the depth of the of the the x axis versus the z axis I think on this is just some very it leads to some very interesting shots so I would highly recommend everybody watch this it's on Apple TV if you got it 
Yeah. The, I, I did get a chance to see this. And I will say that, I mean, easily the most beautiful animated movie. Definitely of the year and maybe of many years that I've seen. Um, I almost kind of wished that this was a silent film because the animation was so beautiful that like paying attention to too much plot and dialogue. I was, <laughs> I was like, I, I really just want to look at these stunning images. Um, but yeah, I think it was quite a standout. Yeah. Um, Nick, what is your number five pick? Uh, this one surprised me that it, that I liked it in um, it is, it is so not my genre. I'm not into thrillers necessarily. I'm definitely not into gore um, possessor. I watched and it caught me completely off guard. I, I have, I am not a connoisseur of black mirror, but it feels very much like that. Um, possessor. I don't know if either of you guys saw it. Um, I'm unfamiliar with it completely. I have heard of it and specifically did not watch it because I did not think I could handle it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know how gory it was going to be when I hit play, but uh, boy, it goes there. Um, and on iTunes, it was the uncut offering, and I went for the <laughs> Amazon regular cut. And when I read what the difference was, the iTunes uh, one was like, oh, this one's so much better because there's more gore. I'm like, mm, nope. Not for me. Um, I don't know uh, how much you guys know, but it is um, it it is sci-fi, but it doesn't feel like ex machina level sci-fi. It is um, kind of like uh, it's like Inception upgrade the Matrix. That's that's <laughs> okay. That sounds way over the top. It is basically um, there is a hitman hit woman um who can uh there's like a little device and it puts her in someone else's body an existing person's body and they ex they uh take out their target in the role as that person and so it's a really cool way to watch someone else's performance within another actor it's it feels very um it feels like it was a mid-budget thing that could have been way poorer if it had too much of a budget like i don't know if there's any cgi if there is it's very minimal everything's done in camera or with like time lapse effects um i really dug this movie i did not expect to watch it i didn't expect expect to love it and i didn't expect it to be in my top five um but wow did i like this movie and it is probably going to be in my head for a while I've heard so many great things about this movie and pulled it up a couple times, but I was like, I can't do it. I really can't. It's, it, <laughs> it looks way too gory for me to, <laughs> for me to watch, but I, I would love for someone to just tell me the story of it. Actually, this is one that I'll read the Wikipedia page about the plot summary. I do that with a lot of horror movies, so that'll, yeah. that'll definitely happen here. I think that would be the right way to do it if you are not a gore person because <laughs> I think the writing is pretty clever and has a lot of depth um, given the genre. Um, but yeah, uh, I, if, if you're not into watching it, I would, I would read about it. That's a good call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, my number five pick, um, 
I just want to say that I've started noticing a trend in the past few years that we've been doing this top 10 episode, whereas I tend to, round number four, number five, is where I tend to put the movie that I think is the best picture of the year. So it doesn't make it to number one on my list. It's not my personal favorite, but it is usually the movie that I think is like, I think this is the best film of the year. I hope this wins best picture. Um, what an achievement and a filmmaking and a remarkable movie. Um, and that definitely applies this year for my number five pick. My number five is Nomadland. Um, it's the newest film from Chloe Zhao. It is starring Frances McDormand. Um, she plays a woman who is um, in the wake of the 2008 recession and, and her husband's death. She kind of starts to live a mobile life in a van. Um, she works odd jobs. She goes from nas different national parks to national parks. And... Chloe Zhao, I've only, the only other film of hers that I've seen is The Writer. And that was a film that um, really impressed me. It's not a movie I would typically, I think, seek out, but was really impressed by like how personal it was. And this movie, um, Nomadland, made me fully in awe of her skills as a filmmaker. Um, she tends to work with a lot of non-actors to create a fiction, to craft a fictional story. Um, and in doing so, she elicits some of the most beautiful, breathtaking, naturalistic performances from people um, that I've ever seen. And this film is a slice of like American tragedy Um a look at like what capitalism has done to our country. It is stunning to look at as she kind of like travels over the wet across the West and through just beautiful deserts. Um, this is a film that's going to stay with me for a long time and I definitely need to rewatch, but I am hoping that this one wins best picture because I think it's the best film of the year. Yeah. I I'm sure I'll have more to say about it. Um, as soon as Oscars come around, but that's what I'll say now is that I loved, loved Nomadland. Considering your preface to this being your choice, where did uh, Parasite end for you last year? I think that was my number four or five. I can't remember. Um, Get Out has been in a similar case in other lists. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a trend of mine. Got it. Um, yeah, I, I just can't say enough good things about this film. Um, Lucas, what is your number four pick? Well, I'll say more good things about it because it is Nomadland. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yes, I I thought this movie was beautiful. I think one of the, the things about talking about a woman who's living in a van after the recession is that you could make a very depressing movie about that. Yeah. Um, and it is, a I think, a depressing situation, but I think that it's shot and acted from a place of look at the beautiful things that can happen, that can come out of this uh not not even choice, but like lifestyle that you're kind of forced into. Um, it gives a beautiful look at, I think, the Western half of the United States um, as she kind of goes around job to job um, really over the course of kind of this year. And I really loved how beautiful it made 
the country look as well as just showing how much freedom can be found, even when the government has completely failed its people and that you're kind of forced into this um, alternative lifestyle. But um, the friends that you can make and the, the kind of the relationships that form out of that um, and kind of the also the I mean, obviously, the the drama that can come come from that, but in more of a more of an emotional way, more of a um, kind of reckoning with with this being your life. Um I, I thought it was beautiful. Again, like you said, Chloe Zhao's amazing. I, her other film, The Writer, was the only one that I'd seen. Um, I'm really interested, after seeing both of those, I'm very interested to see what her take on a Marvel movie is with The Eternals yeah. coming out later this year. I was going to ask you about um, that. It's, yeah, I I mean, it's the Marvel, Marvel machine, so I feel like it'll look more like a Marvel movie than like her movie. Um, but I, I mean, she, she's bringing stuff to it. So I can't imagine what that's actually going to be like. They feel like incompatible um, (laughs) forces that are going to be working against each other, but I'm very excited about it. Yeah. I also just, while we're on this topic still, I just wanted to say um, it's no surprise that Francis McDormand is amazing in this film, but you mentioned like any, another take on this, this subject matter could be really depressing. And I think another performer in this role could be very dark and and um like moody and yeah and Frances McDormand brings the grief and the seriousness to this role while constantly maintaining this this lightness that makes you um able to take in the whole film and not feel worn down um she has is magnetic I I loved loved everything she did She's like the Absolutely. master of the Midwest experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, okay, Nick, what is your number four pick? Number four is another one that was not on my radar until I was just watching it. Um, Palm Springs. I don't like, again, I don't really pay enough attention to the festival circuit, but um, I went in blind as I tend to try to do, but um, this was just the most one of the most enjoyable like movies of the year like whether or not it is the most filmic it I just had fun the entire time um I think that I am in general kind of a sucker for this format but um I would say it is I don't know if you guys saw it if if I should explain the plot but it is sort of um Groundhog Day-ish without being uh without it being um stale it's got one of the most fun second acts of a movie of the year in that like um it does the groundhog day thing without it feeling stressful it's just having fun with the format um and there's there's such a great chemistry between the two leads uh andy samberg and christina milati i think yeah um I I just had so much fun with this movie. Uh, it was like a random Friday night. I think it was the day it came out, and it was, should we just hit play on this? And I just had a blast. I think that I remember not being sold within the first 10 minutes and then just kind of landing in it and loving it. And the rest of the cast, J.K. Simmons shows up, wasn't expecting that. What a delight. <laughs> yeah, I also found this to be very charming. I, I would love for Andy Samberg to lean more into his, like, romantic comedy skills because he's so great in them. Um, And I also think that 
you know, I would love for us to like come up with a list of movies like Palm Springs or like I mentioned earlier, Spontaneous, that movies that were made before the pandemic, but feel like they're about the pandemic, right? Yeah. You know how this movie really like came out at a time when everyone was just staying at home. It felt like the days were just repeating themselves. And then we all watched a movie about just the days repeating themselves. Um, you're stuck in one place. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's an interesting genre. Yeah, it's it's very uh, immersive in being stuck in a routine. That's a that's a really fun observation. I had not considered that. I think I'm trying to think. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are a couple of other movies that came out this year that just felt so fitting for this year with you know without realizing they were going to be when they were being made. So I we need to come yeah. up with that at some point. I also enjoy. I just say real quick i loved this movie it was so much fun i it's not one that i've been able to revisit yet but i'm very excited too it was definitely one of the more fun movies that uh i think are in the top half of the movies this year yeah i have not rewatched it but it feels like a very rewatchable movie yeah wonderful um so my number four pick also kind of falls into that previous category that i mentioned of movies that feel like they are the best of the year um and not just on a grant on an American country level, you know, not just in my personal favorite, but even though I did find this movie so beautiful. Um, and that is the documentary called Time. I put off watching this movie because there were a lot of movies on my list of the best of the year that I was like, gosh, this year has been so hard. And I felt depressed and varying levels throughout the whole year. And so when you go to watch a movie at night, you're like, do I really want to watch this movie about, like, for instance, The Assistant was one that I put off for a long time. It's like, do I really want to watch this assistant of Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> character be harassed? Like, gosh, you know, I don't know if, I, if I'm up for that. And time fell into that category for me because I knew it was a documentary about, um, like, what it's like to have a family member be in prison and just like the inhumaneness of our prison system in our, in this country and while that's a subject matter that i think is so important and worthy of storytellings each night you're just kind of like is this the night that i'm going to sit down with that documentary and once i did i like was so surprised at obviously i knew this subject matter was going to be powerful but what i didn't know going into it was what a remarkable family this was going to be to watch. Um, for for those of you who aren't familiar with time, it's it's about this woman whose husband has been in prison for 20 years. And for 20 years, she has been fighting to have his sentence um, cut short and, ha- and trying to bring her husband home to be with his family, her and her and their family. Um, and she has turned this into her life's work and she, her name is um Sybil uh Richardson and um the is, is that her name her, she also goes by Fox Rich is is another another name that she goes by um and she was such a, an amazing person to witness i think and it, it looks after it, this documentary examines like her life um her struggle with her husband and, and then also examines, you know, all of their children and, or most of their children and, and what their lives are like. And this is a family that 
even if they weren't dealing with this, I think that they would be fascinating to watch because they are fascinating magnetic people. Um, and the way that they command attention is really amazing. Um, what also makes this movie so incredible is it is a really beautiful to look at documentary. It's shot entirely in black and white. Um, and it's a mixture of current footage shot by the director, um, that is really, really, again, very beautiful to look at. If you liked the way that Roma was like stunning black and white photography, that there is much more of that in time. Um, but then it also mixes in 20 years worth of home footage that our leading lady has shot herself of herself and her family throughout the years. Um, footage of the kids growing up in addition to direct messages that she video records of herself talking to her husband. Um, and to have the combined nature of this old footage and this new footage woven throughout the entire documentary very seamlessly, um, was pretty remarkable. I don't, you don't get to see many films that span that length of time being made. And that's exactly what this one does. Um, I, I just was really emotional watching this movie and, um, I rewatched the trailer after I saw it and just the trailer alone made me just as emotional as the movie did um, with the context of everything. So this is a movie I think everyone should watch. I think knowing, know that it's going to be emotional, but I don't think people should put it off like I did thinking it's going to be like too hard to watch, um, too painful. I mean, it's, it's painful, but it's, um, it's not what I expected. I think it's really beautiful. No. It's on my honorable mentions list for sure. I think this movie is really interesting. I can't imagine getting all of this footage and like combing through it and then putting yeah. um, all of this to together. It really is a masterpiece of just impressive documentary making. Yeah. And similarly to Nomadland, a real indictment of like our country and its systems. And yeah. Um, something that I just it's as as good as it is to watch it is important to watch as well and so when a movie can be both of those things that's just like makes it top of the tier for me this is Um, one that's been on my list for a while and I I knew how like crushing and devastating it was going to be so I never pulled the trigger but it it's it's going to continue to like haunt me as like Nick you have to watch this it's going to break you but you have to do it well, I think you definitely should watch it before the Oscars because I, I can't see this not getting nominated. Um, it's I, I think it's going to be a big contender. Um, Lucas, what is number three on your top ten list? Number three for me is Mangrove, um, which we've talked about already. But I think for me, the small axe films were really impressive. And this one kind of came forward as the number one for me. Um, kind of like what you said, like there's no... Um, you can't have a conversation about this without also talking about contrasting it with the trial of Chicago seven. Um, I think both are court cases. And while I really like them both, I think this one um, ended up on my list because I think that it really gets to the heart and the motion of the system, emotion of the systematic like issues um, as opposed to Sorkin's, which Sorkin's feels like a very tight, well done um, story. And it feels like it wants to kind of put a bow on the event. Um, 
which is fun and a very engaging watch. I rewatched it this weekend just to like see how I felt about it again. And I was like, that's a movie. That is a good yeah. movie. <laughs> but I Mangrove, showed it to my parents. And oh, yeah. Yeah. Great parent movie to watch. Absolutely. Um, but Mangrove to me felt more like an experience and it felt like it was really getting at the heart of um, a lot of these issues. And I just... I really resonated with it. And like you said, it's long. It's two hours long, which is actually shorter than Trial of Chicago 7. But um, I think it uses every one of those minutes really well. It's really impressive. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm i just, yeah, I'm, I marvel at it. So I'm really happy to see it be this high up on your list. Um, Nick, what is your number three pick? Number three is Bad Education. Um, I really enjoyed this i mean it's in my top three obviously i enjoyed it um i thought the performances were excellent and i uh mentioned earlier that i have not seen thoroughbreds so this was my first Corey finley movie but he does some really interesting things with um uh, making you feel uh in a setting he spends maybe 10 seconds too long introducing a scene just to sort of establish the tone of the setting you're in. And for some reason, that really uh, stuck with me. So I like his approach to filmmaking in that way. And he obviously just has a way with actors. I mean, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney are talented in their own right, but these were like extraordinarily good performances from them. Hugh Jackman, I mean, I kind of grew up just knowing him as Hugh Jackman action dude i've never seen him uh, or i've rarely ever seen him do like really dramatic non wolverine logan stuff um <laughs> yeah i thought he was great in this he brought so many layers to a very complicated character and allison janney has become one of the best co-pilots in movies over the last few years between i Tanya and this like I want her to be, you know, a lead in this kind of role just because of how, you know, magnetic she is. So I, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's obviously, you know, based on a true story um, about sort of uh, corruption within Long Island middle school um, money embezzling. Uh, maybe on paper it sounds sort of stale, but I thought the filmmaking made it very interesting and the performances are just so watchable. I, I, this movie, I really, 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 uh, it surprised me and I enjoyed it and it is on HBO max. Yeah. I was really, you know, this is a movie that I really enjoyed and it had me thinking that, um, I'm really glad that Lucas, you and I got to cover this on the podcast this year because this is a movie that I, I, my understanding is that it was slated as an HBO original movie before HBO Max came out and before everything was planning on going to streaming this year. Um, like, I don't think it was ever going to go to theaters. And those are not the kind of movies that you and I usually cover on the podcast. Um, sometimes we Especially do. Especially in the summer. <laughs> right. Yeah. It came out in the summer. And yeah, it's, normally we have a, a lot of, you know, blockbusters that are on our docket. And I'm really glad that uh, this is a movie we got a chance to have a conversation about because I, I do. I think it's really special. And I agree with, with you. Everything you said about Hugh Jackman and Alice and Janney. Definitely. I think, yeah, Corey Finley is, I think, an absolutely great <laughs> writer and director. Thoroughbreds, uh, I think, was like number five on my list that year that it came out. I absolutely just adored that movie um, and was very excited about this one. I think I think this one really digs into... Um, 
the heart of Hugh Jackman's character in a way that I didn't expect. And it really, uh, I think is it's, it's such a mundane movie to talk about. I think like the, the plot and the, the setting and everything kind of involved in it, but just done in such a brilliant, beautiful way that really, um, really makes you feel things for everybody involved. And I, I really enjoyed it. This is definitely on my uh, honorable mentions list. All right. Well, my number three um, pick for the year is a movie that the first time I saw it, I was just like, I instantly knew this is going to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and that is Shit House. I, you know, I, I've said, I said it then and I'll say it now. I, the, I, a movie that is just two people walking and talking, that's all I ever need really from movies. And it's why I love Linklater so much. Um, and this movie has that in spades, which is, you know, part of why I fell in love with it. But the other reason I fell in love with Shit House is because its sense of humor is so smart and specific and it is you know, making fun of this very specific age group and time of growth and immaturity while also having such sensitivity towards that age and how hard it is. Um, I also really am just found it so refreshing to have it star a young male character that is so in touch with his emotions, both for good and for better or for worse, right? Um, but that is something we just don't get very often. I think usually you get men who, male characters that have no access to their emotions and that's, you know, the struggle that they go through. Or you have men who, like, perceive themselves to be sensitive in an artistic way, but they're still, um, but they're, that doesn't make them caring or kind. Um, and this character is just trying so hard to be kind to people and also like have love and kindness in his life. And he doesn't understand why that isn't happening. Um, and I just was really, again, we've talked about uh, the writer director star Cooper Rafe. I think that this is just a remarkable turn from him and I can't wait to see more of his stories. Um, one critic that I saw said that he, they really hopes he doesn't get sucked into the TV bubble because someone of his talent, um, you could easily see him creating a series and I'm sure it would be great. But with when movies are this special, I hope he gets a chance to make more movies just like this. Shithouse really blew me away. Yeah, I, I really I talked about it earlier, but I, I really appreciated the his ability to be so vulnerable and I wish I had seen a movie at the age of 18 where yeah. you're watching a young man, like, cry on screen about just, like, he's so vulnerable. And, it, yeah, like, yeah, you nailed it. He's, he's, what a, what there's, a. There's, there's multiple scenes where this character cries. And that doesn't <laughs> happen very often with male characters. Yeah. Usually, like, you get maybe one. And it's like, and it has to be, he has to go on through something real rough. For, for tears to actually come. This character cries in multiple scenes. And there's one particular scene where he cries so hard just at the thought of not talking to his mother as often. And, um, you know, I read an interview with Cooper Rafe and he talks about like 
part of like the inspiration behind this movie is just how much he um cares about like mothers and how he how much he recognizes how hard the world is on mothers you know like you have to like take care of the, your child and love it and make it your number one priority in life and then you just have to like say goodbye to them at the age of 18 and just you know go and erase them from your day-to-day life and how like hard of an experience that is and I am just really like you know emotional at the thought of him being so um of him caring about mothers that way and and the movie shows it so yeah I could talk about it much longer but I will um we'll we'll move on to the rest of the (laughs) list um Nick what is your number two movie my number two movie is Nomadland. I, it's hard to, you know, say more about what you guys have already said, but um, I, I, Francis McDormand is so good. And I know that we've known that for a very long time, but I don't know that this movie has the like typical Francis McDormand where like she has a big speech, a big monologue where she gets to like flex her acting muscles. This is like all about subtlety and like everything that's kind of going on internally and the way she interacts with people. And it's just beautiful. And everyone, I I liked in the credits that all of the characters um, are just named after the actor. And so it, it felt even more just personal and like, these were all very real human beings. And, and um, it does call out capitalism to the point where like Amazon uh, is just Amazon in the movie. It's not, you know, they don't disguise it with some, you know, corny name. Um, and it, this is a wonderful movie about grief. And I appreciated that it doesn't start where she is a nomad. Someone introduces her to this lifestyle and it just clicks with her. And she, I, I was pretty much floored by this movie. I kind of can't stop thinking about it. I watched it um, over the, over the weekend. And, um, it's just been stuck in my head. And I, this is sort of a silly question. I am not a competitive minded person, but who do you think won this movie? Chloe Zhao or Francis McDormand? I think Chloe Zhao because Francis McDormand is amazing in this movie. But for me, what makes this movie amazing is the storytelling amongst her with all the other characters. And I think that only comes from Chloe Zhao's direction. I love it. I'm so curious what her MCU life is like. It'd be weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, if uh, there's a lot of talk about, I I know we're we're kind of jumping ahead into Oscar talk, um, but there's, you know, normally when we record this episode, Oscar nominations have either already come out or they're right about to, Right. And this year, Oscars are getting pushed, so th- that conversation's a little delayed. But there's already talk about her, you know, most likely getting a Best Director nomination for this film. And if she wins, um, if she wins, she'll definitely be the first woman of color to ever win Best Director. And I, I can't remember if she's the first woman of color to ever be nominated or not. Um, but there's a lot of talk about her and Regina King possibly getting nominations, and um, that's just really exciting. I, I hope she gets a ton of attention and gets to make whatever she wants to make after this. 
Yeah, I and again, just sense of place. It is just a gorgeous yeah. movie. Like, I, I I would have to rewatch it, which I don't mind doing, but I, it feels like everything was done with natural light, which is yeah. a, a brilliant choice to make for this movie. It's like the obvious choice, but not everyone can pull it off, and she did. And, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this does very well at the Oscars, but obviously we're a while away from that. Uh, at the time of this recording, the Independent Spirit Award nominations uh, came out. And I know that this um, is received very well there as well. Yeah. Um, okay, well, next, I want to talk about my number two pick of the year. And that is a movie that I've been highly anticipating all year. And we just talked about it, but I'm going to talk about it some more. And that's Promising Young Woman. Um. There's a David Fincher quote about films that I've always held near and dear to me. And David Fincher, he once said, I don't know how much movies should entertain. To me, I'm always interested in movies that scar. The thing I love about Jaws is the fact that I've never gone swimming in the ocean again. (laughs) And after, you know, being a few days removed from Promising Young Woman, that quote just really resonates with me. Now, I do think this movie does entertain. I think it's very entertaining actually. And my favorite, one of my, one of the reasons um, I love it so much is because of how entertaining it is. But the reason it's number two on my list is because of the way it scars and the way that for days and days after I watched it, um, it was just heavy in my heart. I would watch other movies and I would think about Promising a Woman the entire time I was watching other movies. Um, and <laughs> sadly, what what this movie has done to my perception of men and dating, which was already not in a great place, but <laughs> this movie <laughs> didn't help. And But I'm also grateful for this story And I'm grateful that it is wrapped in such an entertaining package so that more people um, will probably watch it than otherwise would. Um, We talked about it so recently that I think if you want to hear all the things I love about Promising Woman, you can go listen to that episode. But um, the way it scars is what I'm now thinking about, you know, a week or so later. The way it scars, I really like that as a takeaway. That's wonderful. I also, the use of color, it's very like, not yeah. bubble gummy, but it's very like bright and oh, it pretty. Is. And it's the sort of like. Pastels are, yeah, fantastic. Okay. Well, Lucas, what is your number two pick of the year? My number two movie is a movie I'm surprised I haven't seen on this list for anybody else. I'm, I really thought it would come up. Um, and it might, who knows? But my number two is The Sound of Metal. Um, this for me was just an auditory masterpiece. I think the way that audio is used in this movie is crazy. And I really loved getting to hear it. It's if, for those who don't know, it's the story of a drummer who loses his hearing, um, and kind of has to come to terms with the way his life is changing directions. And, um, it, I think it expertly explores kind of the relationship between, um, community, um, and addiction, and and purpose of life without feeling kind of too on the nose for those things um i think there's a lot of there's a lot of movies about musicians and addiction and a lot of musicians about a lot of musicians a lot of movies about musicians and like the purpose of life including soul which we watched recently but just i think how it kind of weaves all these things in um i think is really really cool 
a lot like Nomadland, it uses a lot of um, people who aren't, I don't want to say there aren't actors because they are actors, but um, who are really playing themselves in in these movies of um, a lot of the deaf community that he's with for part of this movie. Um, and I think it really does a great job of kind of putting him in this, in this environment that's new for him and kind of what it looks like to actually be a part of it. And um, I think it also takes some, um, some elements this this part kind of reminds me of baby teeth of just like the the way that he connects with other characters um are ways that i think you wouldn't expect out of a movie like this and the way that he moves forward with different relationships um i think is surprising in a lot of aspects and i think riz ahmed is a fantastic actor i love a ton of his movies um and this one really stood out for me you know i really enjoyed this movie and i didn't know going in that it was going to be as much about addiction as it was going to be about the loss of hearing. Um, And that aspect of the story is really what I found so compelling. Um, In addition to, I think I've always found the deaf community very compelling and and their insistence, and I think in, in a rightful, beautiful way, that being deaf is, you know, a community you're a part of and not necessarily a disability that needs to be cured. Um, and I loved exploring that subculture in this film. I, I don't think we have enough films that I, I oftentimes you'll see one deaf character in a film and it's kind of like adding diversity to a story. Um, <laughs> yeah. And rarely do we get to see films that explore the deaf community in its, you know, as on its own. Um, and I, I was really blown away by that. And again, by Riz Ahmed's performance, like this is best actor nom, like locked up in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I loved it. Um, Nick, what is your number one pick of the year? Well, uh, literal drum roll. My favorite movie of the year is sound of metal. Um, (laughs) this, this blew me away. Like everything that you said is spot on and God, God, is this my favorite? Um, it's such a simple concept. Like you could just say, um, professional drummer starts to lose his hearing, but they take that like one sentence and they make such a rich movie out of it. I mean, obviously this movie doesn't work as well if it's not this performance. I mean, he just absorbs everything that this character is. And he, I I wasn't surprised to see that he got EP credit as well, because it just feels even though it's not his story, this feels so personal and everything that he brings to it is just so um, incredibly moving. I mean, and and the cast is really uh, well-rounded as well. Like um, the guy who is sort of his counselor, um, I'm blanking on the actor's name. Um, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> he was just such a good, like, you know, father figure and, and, um, mentor the rest of the i mean um oh boy uh who plays his girlfriend olivia cook thank you also thoroughbreds um yeah thoroughbreds is getting a lot of t- t- airtime on this episode as it should we're gonna rename this the cory finley podcast um, <laughs> uh she she was great as um not just because i think this happens a lot of times in a story like this where the girlfriend character is solely there as support but she is so well defined in her own self 
Um, and I, I, this movie just did everything right. I, I was, um, I, I can't get it out of my head. Um, I, this is the, this gets my award for, I wish I could have seen this in the theater because as you said, auditory masterpiece, I watched this on my TV. I want to watch this again with headphones on and just like really appreciate everything they're doing with, um, sound and lack of sound and for what could be on paper just a character study uh it's so much more than that but I also think that the way it goes from point a to point b with this character is just I haven't seen something like this and something that has impacted me like this in such a long time and uh you talked about this year having a lot of great movies about grief I rarely ever see films where the grief is within oneself as opposed to losing a person. Um, I don't know. I, I This movie floored me. I'm so glad it's on your list as well. You know, you mentioned wanting to rewatch this movie with headphones. I really, as I was watching it, I was wanting to rewatch it without sound. I wanted to see, like, how does this movie play with just subtitles? Um and I, I, you know, I never do that. And of course, experiencing, you know, world through the lens of like a, the deaf community, it did make me want to like, you know, walk a mile in their shoes in that way. I love um, that idea. Uh, yeah. And just, I just wanted to say that actor's name who plays like the mentor, his name is Paul Rachie. I, I just wanted to mention his name because I agree with you that his performance really grounded the movie and brought, he brought so much like emotional depth to it. Yes. Um, Okay, well, I think that's an amazing a number one pick. I'm so glad that both of y'all have that on your list. Um, my number one pick of 2020 is probably no surprise to a lot of people because I've been raving about it all year long, but it's Emma. Um, when we saw this movie months and months ago in a theater, <laughs> I knew that moment that it was going to be my favorite movie of the year. Sometimes you just know the moment you watch a movie. And I knew very early on that 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 was going to be the case. And um, I think if you really want to hear all the ways that I relate to the flaws of the main character of Emma, and I kind of had an emotional crisis about it, you should go and listen to our review of it. But what I'll say right now is in a year that has been very hard, and we're watching movies has been kind of hard, like for long parts of the pandemic, I was kind of like, I don't have the emotional capacity to sit down with a drama, you know, to sit down or sometimes even just to sit down with a full length movie and not just watch <laughs> Real Housewives over and over and over again. Um, going through that all year, Emma is a movie that I want to watch all the time. Anytime I could convince someone to sit and watch Emma with me, we would watch Emma. And I would rewatch it alone. And I find so much comfort in this, in addition to it being a visual masterpiece. And really, really smart and very funny. And I think that that is such a special thing that a movie can do for you. When it can be that kind of movie that not only is it excellent, but it is in incredibly rewatchable. Rewatchability is something that's actually incredibly important to me when I think of what are my favorite movies of all time. And Emma has that hands down. Um, 
I, I mentioned earlier that I rewatch Pride and Prejudice multiple times a year, and now Emma is just going to be like added to that list of movies that I watch every year and that will always bring me comfort and joy and um, that embraces color. I love that it embraces color and romance and all the things that I love in this in, in filmmaking. So Emma is easily number one for me. It's so good. Yeah. It really is. I, I feel like I keep being surprised by it every time I rewatch it. Right. But it's also my wife's favorite movie of the year. And right now we're doing a, a Jane Austen marathon. So we're going through and we did a Sense and Sensibility and then Pride and Prejudice. And I'm trying to get her to watch um, Love and Friendship before we move back to Emma. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Well, that sounds mar- that sounds just purely delightful. Um, Lucas, let's finish off and you can tell us what your number one movie of the year is. Well, my number one movie is a movie we've already talked about. It's Shithouse. Um, great movie with a terrible name. I, <laughs> um, I agree. Like we said, it's a conversation movie. I feel like we've talked about this a lot already. But I think one of the things that um, both Promising Woman and uh, Shithouse made me do is uh, reconsider how I went through college. <laughs> um, not, I, 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 think, I think this movie specifically, I don't relate to the... Um, the main character in the the homesickness way. I went to college in a town where my parents lived and uh, that I'd lived for the last like six years or whatever. And but I think I think some of the ways that he approaches relationships and like th- uh, thinks about emotions is very similar to how I felt in college. Um, and I so some of that I think I related to how I felt when I watched eighth grade of just like the cringiness of like that is exactly <laughs> what I was like and going through and oh that's hard to watch, um, but some of it was also just like beautiful to see um, kind of played out like this and getting to getting to to kind of see these conversations that he's having with um, I forget her name Dylan um, Maggie is the character's name Dylan Galula is the actress's name Dylan Galula yeah. I think she's great too. I think one of the things that I I really liked about this movie is how natural the dialogue feels. Um, It doesn't feel mumblecore or anything like that, but it feels like really natural, real dialogue. Um, And it's fun to hear also. So the conversations that are happening are very fun and yet very um, feels realistic. I, yeah, I love everything about this movie. I feel like I tend to pick movies that I feel like are perfect um, for my number one spot. This is one that feels new and shaggy, um, but has so many great things about it, and yet has um, also a very specific specificity. Specificity. Um, I'm just thrilled to see what he does next. But I think this movie right here is something that I will at least be telling people to watch forever, um, and the name will be keeping people from watching forever. So. <laughs> I think, yeah. I'm so glad yeah. it was on all of our lists. And again, I give you both credit for uh, putting it <laughs> on my radar in the first place. But I also, I didn't mention this before. I really appreciated that in um, movies, if this movie had come out 10 years ago, the Maggie character may have been more of like a manic pixie dream girl. Whereas this is just like a very grounded person who would fight back on him when he's, you know, being clingy or you know very emotional i i so appreciate this isn't like a very cutesy conversational thing but a very like she is willing to call him on his shit without that being her character defining quality another thing i really love about like their dynamic in this is how 
they both the movie really has an equality to it and that they both really have some some way to grow from each other you know that like it's not the kind of romance where you have like a lead that needs to learn and a perfect romantic interest or or vice versa it's you know he has issues with being clingy and not you know being independent or growing up and she isn't as tender and kind as she probably could be, you know? And the way that they teach each other things is really beautiful. And also something that just came to mind is how, when you were mentioning Lucas, how naturalistic, like all their dialogue feels, it's so hard to capture authentic, natural flirting. Like flirting can either come across as cheesy or too clever or too sexual. And the way that this movie captures like, what real flirting looks like at that age, I think is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't say enough good things and I'm so glad it's on all of our top 10 <laughs> lists. And it's like, I also, I almost don't want to say too much uh, more about the plot because people should watch this movie. It's worth the $5 yeah. or whatever it costs to rent it until it's just available. Agreed. Definitely. Speaking of movies that we all have on our list, I do want to call out, I think it's four films that all three of us had on our list. So I believe it's Shithouse, Emma, Promising Young Woman, and Nomadland. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yes. I think so. Yeah. And, and then both of y'all had Sound of Metal on your list, I think. And Lucas and I both had Mangrove. Um, and so... Yeah, I think that this is really exciting when I think about, like, just the breakdown about, you know, four or five films that we all kind of agree on as being some of the best of the year and us each bringing about four or five that are, you know, unique to the other list. Um, I love when we can have that kind of variety. Definitely. Is there one you're surprised by that was on all of our lists? Um, I mean, I think I was surprised, Lucas, that Shithouse was number one on your list. (laughs) <laughs> i i knew i would have it very high on mine um but like you said you normally go for something a little more austere um so yeah. i was pleasantly surprised to see it at number one on your list yeah i think i do think this year my list feels a little different i think there's a um i don't know i think 2020 got to me and i feel like all of these movies had really emotional impacts on me um and Obviously, there's lots of great, like, technical stuff and performances involved in a lot of these movies, but I think the ones that really resonated with me and stuck around um, were ones that that, uh, that really hit in the emotional side of things, and I think that's, <laughs> that's 2020 for you. Yeah. I think both of y'all had kind of mentioned at some point when we were talking about this episode, making this episode, um, maybe feeling a little underwhelmed by the year, and I want to know if y'all still film that, feel that way after your list is finalized. I think that it's only because of the last two weeks where I've just been cramming 2020 <laughs> movies. Um, Cause I think prior to this, I would have said like, yeah, but a lot of it is because they were delayed. And now that I feel not all the way caught up, but I've seen, I've watched so many movies in the last two weeks. Um, the, these are all like the best of the best. Some of like sound of metal will probably go down as like some of one of my favorites of the decade. Like, um, I was worried about this being a letdown year until very recently. Yeah, I think for me, I'm what I'm used to is there are like two or three movies that just stand out heads above everything else that from the get go, I'm like, these three are at the top and then I'm figuring out kind of the rest of it. 
Um, whereas this, they all kind of felt closer together for me. Um, I think I, as I was kind of playing around with my list, my, like, I feel, I feel like all of these movies played at different spots in this list. Um, and there wasn't, there weren't ones that it was just like, this is definitely at the top and we'll kind of mm. see how it goes. Um, they all kind of moved around as I, I put this list together, I think, uh, early, like early last weekend and was just kind of continuing to kind of move things around. I think specifically, there's another 10 films that could easily have fallen in here as well <laughs> that I just kept kind of playing around with as well. And so I think there's a there's a good chunk of movies that I really, really enjoyed this year, which is exciting. Yeah, I think like I feel the same way in that um, there's another 10 or so on my list, maybe five or 10 that really close to being in my top 10 this year. And that makes me feel like we still had a great year of movies. I think it just felt so different not being yeah. in theaters, you know, I think yeah. watching films at home, you know, like, obviously, I still think I've had amazing experiences with incredible films, but I think I would be feeling str- more passionate about the exact same films if I had saw them in a theater. Um, and so I, I can't wait till we get to come back to that. I um, just wanted to I, say, I really wish I could have seen Promising Young Woman in the theater. Um, I, I uh, go to the Alamo yeah. Draft House by my by my house and like, that is just the, that's another like great what I can imagine to be a great theater movie just in terms of like audience and walking out of the theater and you know people talking about it and all of like the the shocking moments all of the funny moments all of the self aware moments that feels like a very much uh, you know theater fun crowd pleasing movie okay. and I just I, I um, wanted to say before that I really appreciate the title. Um, cause Brock Turner was referred to as a promising young man and for the reversal of this to be called promising young woman, I feel late talking about it, but man, um, great film. Glad we all like it. Yeah, me too. Um, I want to ask y'all, so I know we've kind of mentioned it so far, but what are some of the lists that you want to quickly shout out as your honorable mentions, your runner ups, your runner ups? Uh, I have the half of it, which was a Netflix, uh, teen, movie which there are i think that's most of netflix original movies now is just teen <laughs> movies and holiday movies the half of it uh caught me by surprise in that it is sort of a fun take on cyrano but it is queer so it's queer cyrano it is uh really lovely characters it is a very easy movie to watch while also being very fulfilling and the star of it, Leah Lewis, uh, she could be in any movie and be wonderful. I've only seen her in this, but um, what a what a lovely little surprise Netflix original in 2020. That movie is so charming. It's just the two leads of it and the friendship that develops is just I, delicious to watch. And yeah, I was very, very charming is the only word I can think of for what that movie is. <laughs> um, no. Lucas, what are some of your runner-ups? Yeah, in addition to kind of what we talked about as we were going through that are on your list, some of the ones that um, kind of almost made my list were uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield um, and Dick Johnson is Dead. Both of those, I think, were absolutely fantastic movies that that were on the list at one point. <laughs> yeah, um, I was happy to see Boy State and Baby Teeth on y'all's list because they were very close to making mine. Um, also, uh, Trial of Chicago 7, we've talked about, that was my number 11. I, you know, I love Aaron Sorkin. He just barely missed it. Yeah. And Never Rarely, Sometimes Always is 
really a, a really incredible indie film and that one very was very close to making my list um important subject matter it um it's Liza Hittman is a director that I can't wait to see more and more from because the way she handles close-ups and so, and young dark subject matter is really really touching so absolutely yeah. that I, I wish that had been in my top 10 but the scene that the title comes from is yeah. going to go down as one of the most powerful scenes I've seen in like years I mean it the, oh boy I think about Did it both all of the y'all time. get to see the assistant yes I did not. Um, um there's there's a similar scene in the assistant I mean not similar in subject matter but similar in that it's heart-wrenching and it's just two people kind of one person asking questions of another person you know behind a desk (laughs) very similarly framed and those two scenes i think are scenes of the year just like if the movie had just been those two scenes it it would have been just like these amazing short films you know um yeah so those are definitely some that i want to call out um okay i also want to know uh you know, we normally talk about kind of Oscar buzz around this time in our episode, but we don't really have Oscar buzz to talk about because Oscars are being pushed back. So instead, um, we have spent a whole year or mo- almost a whole year in our homes, not going to movie theaters, watching um, for a significant portion of the pandemic, there weren't even any new movies coming out because uh, theater studios weren't sure like what to do with their movie slate. Um <laughs> so I know, I don't know about y'all, but I know I started watching lots of movies that are, that didn't come out in 2020 that I needed to catch up on. And I want to know what is your favorite movie that isn't a 2020 mo- movie, but that you watched at home for the first time? I mean, I, uh, saw, I missed it when it came out in theaters and again, Alamo Draft House. wish I could have seen it in the theater Blind spotting from 2018. Yes. That might be a perfect film. And we watched it. We watched it on the 4th of July, but more importantly, we watched it amidst all of the protests following George Floyd's murder. And it just, um, that, that is going to be one of the more important movies of the decade, but watching it right then just really, uh, was incredibly striking. And that has been one of my favorite movie watching experiences of the year. And just, um, again, I, like I'm not a 4th of July person, but hearing all of like the cheering on the street and the fireworks while watching blind spotting was, um, that was an experience. You also watched it right when the Hamilton like buzz erupted for the whatever it's time, you know, uh, with Hamilton <laughs> coming on streaming and David Diggs being once again in pop culture, yeah. m- like the pop culture conversation. Oh yeah. I think we also watched Hamilton that weekend too. Cause I did not see it on, um, uh, on Broadway. Um, I don't know if you guys know how expensive it was, but, um, <laughs> I've, I've heard tales. <laughs> I was very glad to be able to watch it on, on, uh, Disney plus, but yes, David Diggs weekend. I recommend it. Yeah. Wonderful. Lucas, what about you? Um, well, I think most people know I'm a big fan of Westerns. This year I was able to catch up on uh, a bunch of Westerns. Um, not that they had come out while I was, <laughs> uh, you know, watching other movies. Just uh, I didn't have a lot going on, so I watched some Westerns. Um, but Rio Bravo specifically is a Western from 1959, and I just, man, it's such a good movie. And I, I, I finally got around to watching it. It was one of the ones that was on my list for a long time. And 
Um, and this season of not being able to do a lot of other things, I finally I finally watched it. It's killer. You went real far back into the... I did. <laughs> yeah. I really did. Uh, well, that sounds great. I decided to, for the very first time, watch Die Hard. I had never seen wow. Die Hard before. And that's a movie that obviously like has a ton of buzz, especially around the holidays. You have the conversation come up about whether it's a Christmas movie or not. And... I had seen Live Free or Die Hard, which is, I believe, the fourth installment in that franchise. Yes. Justin Long. Let me tell you, I'm known for loving some Justin Long. Um, And so that is probably what got me in the theaters back in high school or whenever it came out (laughs) was Justin Long. Um, I remember loving that movie. And that kind of like ignited my love for like over the top action films a la fast and furious um but so but i never seen the original so this year one day just alone i sat down and was like maybe maybe i'll just watch die hard and guess what guys die hard is really good (laughs) you watch die hard for the first time by yourself yeah i oh my gosh i loved it it's so good it's such a great movie (laughs) classic for a reason yeah yeah it's not a heist film but the way that it's like one man taking on a whole building full of people and navigating his way through a building makes it feel feel kind of like a heist film which i adore and yeah it's all just about like cleverness and um i i i really loved it so that was that was mine i just say that my first die hard movie was also live free or die hard um (laughs) i remember being i remember similarly being like okay uh i'm here because justin long is great and my dad likes die hard why the hell not timothy oliphant uh yeah like what a delightful giant action silly movie and then the first so one feels great. more grounded and it's wonderful How you know, this is insane to me that that was all of our first diehard movie was that yours too lucas yes how it's yeah. a it's a generational thing i guess so man yeah. that's crazy we were too young before high school to be shown the original diehard you know what i mean like i guess yeah because it's it is a yeah. very rated r film um yeah yeah for sure I, I also just want to point out that, That's hilarious. you know, I recently watched all the Fast and Furious movies and the most recent one, Fate of the Furious, I think is really, really good and it has amazing set pieces. But one of the most impressive ones in Fate of the Furious is the zombie cars, like all driving their, themselves throughout New York City and like crashing into each other. Right. And that is sort of a set piece from Live Free or Die Hard. They didn't hack the cars, but they did hack the stoplights to, like, control traffic yeah. and to control, like, murders, right? <laughs> and when that happened in Fast yeah. and Furious, it was like, they fucking stole this from Live Free or Die Hard. I, can, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, gosh. I want to get back to 2020 movies. So <laughs> we always ask each year um, a few questions. We have some superlatives like you would in a yearbook. Um now that we've, this is, I think, our sixth year doing this, um, yeah. and, or maybe it's our fifth, one, two, three, four, five, I think it's our fifth. Um, so it's fun to look back on, like, all the different answers we've had over the years. The first question I have for y'all is, what is the most disappointing movie of 2020 for you? 
my most disappointing movie i don't think is a movie that's bad i think it's just a movie that i had very high expectations for this is a movie that ended up on a bunch of people's end of the year lists um and i watched it because of that um and that was baccarat um that was a movie that i thought i was really going to like based on what everybody said and it did not work for me at all i don't know if you guys watched this movie at all but it uh it was not my cup of tea that was one that, like, again, because of everyone was raving about it, I kept looking it up. And every time I looked it up, I thought, mm, I, I don't have the stomach to watch that right now and just kind of continued to put it off. Yeah, there were some interesting elements about it, but it was not not for me in any way, shape or form. Um. OK, Nick, what is your most disappointing movie of 2020? So similarly in that every list I looked at for like best movies of 2020, um, which I don't normally do, but sort of in preparation for this, I uh, wanted to have good movies on my list. Uh, I watched First <laughs> Cow, and boy, did I really want to enjoy this. And I there's there's so much that I like and respect about it, but um, it's far from my top 10. Um, if it cracked the top 20, great. I'm sure it will be nominated for all of the things, and I will applaud it for doing so. Um, I just was not, um, I wasn't wowed. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think we felt very similarly in a way that I, Sandra, tell me if this is wrong, but the way I felt about it was like, this is a very good movie that I did not like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think for not just people saying it was going to be good, but I thought I had so many critics saying it was literally the best movie of the year. And so yeah. the bar couldn't have been higher, you know? Yeah. Um, it, there, there's a lot that I like about it. I love that it's like very much shot on film it's got the like you know 133 aspect ratio i feel like i can smell that movie for better for worse but yeah. um <laughs> not not my fave yeah um well mine is a movie that the premise and the trailer like i had such high hopes for i really thought it was going to be a movie that i was going to fall in love with but i i sadly didn't like it and it was dick johnson is dead the documentary um yeah, I I think there are moments and scenes in that movie that are, like, beautiful and, you know, that really, like, captured my spirit. Um, but as a whole, I found it very disjointed in a way that was not pleasing to watch. And I also think that as a documentary, I have a lot of concerns with it. I, I think that the documentarian her making a documentary about her father she puts her father in a very vulnerable position both physically and emotionally but then doesn't like give of the same thing of herself and if she had been not related to him that wouldn't have been an issue but because it's about her relationship with him is a primary focus of the documentary i found it frustrating how little she gave of herself and I also have a lot of ethical concerns with some of the scenes that were included and the privacy aspect and the, you know, I think consent is a really hard thing to understand when you're dealing with the elderly um, and the and people who are, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, losing their minds. Um, but yeah, I I I was I found this movie unsettling and not um not what i wanted from it so yeah dick johnson is dead did not do it for me 
Um, let's move on to like a, a better note and let's talk about <laughs> what our most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2020 let's move was. To a high note, possibly. Yes. Um, <laughs> for me, the movie The High Note is uh, my surprisingly most enjoyable <laughs> movie of, of 2020. Um, I was. All right, here's the thing if a movie has any inkling of possibly being a, a musical in any way, shape, or form, um, or about musicians singing songs. I'm there for it. I'm going to watch it. Um, this is one that I didn't think would be good. Um, but I was like, I, you know, it's, it's the thing I'm going to watch it. So Tracy Ellis Ross plays a superstar singer. Um, and Dakota Johnson plays her personal assistant. And it's kind of their story of, well, it's really Dakota Johnson's story of she wants to be a producer and, what is it like to be living in LA and being a personal assistant? And she loves the person that she's working for and she's grew up on her music and really wants to um, kind of push that forward and her relationship with her and then her relationship with um, kind of an, a, a singer that she meets that she, she starts to produce his music. And I feel like this movie could be very cheesy and in parts of it, it are, but I think in general, it has a really good understanding of music and what people love about making music um and really gets at that aspect of it that i think is really uh important in a movie like this i think the the other thing that i was worried about is the um just the race relationships you don't want to be dakota johnson and being like i know more about r&b music than every other black person in this movie (laughs) (laughs) um and i i I think i think that is something i was worried about and i think it, it it toes the line there a little bit but i think it does do a really good job of showing um kind of where um, her privilege comes into this and kind of where her um, uh, her understanding of, you know, the the making of that music originally and what it means to her is different than what it means to other people. And I think I was just in general surprised by the depth of this of this movie. I still don't think it's a great, amazing movie. It didn't end up anywhere close to my top 10, uh, but it was the most surprisingly enjoyable movie. That's really great for me to hear because I like both of these actresses so much. Yeah. And I remember watching the trailer for this and thinking the trailer didn't look very good. And so it gives me a yeah. lot of faith to hear you say positive things about it. I would I would encourage everybody to watch it. I had a ton of fun with it. I'm down. Awesome. Nick, what is your most surprisingly enjoyable movie? So I love this category because it doesn't have to be most surprisingly Oscar-worthy uh, movie right. of yeah. the year. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed The Lovebirds, and I'm glad because I really wanted to enjoy it. I love Kumail. I love Issa Rae. Um, I, back when it came out, enjoyed the idea of the movie Date Night with uh, Stephen, or Stephen, Steve Carell and Tina Fey. <laughs> um, Stephen. Um, and The Lovebirds just kind of it's did it. It's formal name. <laughs> um, the Lovebirds just uh, did it better and it came out i think maybe a week or two after lockdown and it was just nice to have a silly you know not straight action movie but it was just nice to have this thing it was surprisingly enjoyable i would at some point go back and watch it again i they had chemistry that i didn't know if they were gonna have just based on like the netflix screensaver of it um i don't know surprisingly enjoyable it was definitely one of the first anticipated movies that came out during the the lockdown which i think was made everybody be like all right right, we're putting our hopes on this (laughs) (laughs) right um 
Well, my most surprisingly enjoyable movie is uh, Kajillionaire. So this is a movie that I had never really seen any Miranda July. So I, I didn't have like big expectations. I didn't have, I didn't really know what my expectations should be. And I kind of really just went and saw Kajillionaire because it was the first like new movie that my independent theater was showing in the summer during like their drive-in series. So I was just like so excited to go quote unquote to a movie theater and see a new movie (laughs) that I was like, whatever it is, like I'll buy a ticket. So I went and saw Kajillionaire and um, I didn't expect it to be bad, but I didn't expect it to be this good either. And it was so wonderful. And Kajillionaire has an ending that has stuck with me all year long. Um, For most of the year, I thought it was going to be in my top 10 and it it slowly got its way nudged out, but it's definitely an honorable mention. And um, yeah, I, I loved, loved the ending so much that it has really charmed me. I agree with you that it has an ending that sticks sticks around. For yeah. Sure. How many 2020 movies did y'all watch this year? I, I usually I see more than this, but I saw 36. But I think that, again, that is par- partly due to the last two weeks when I've just crammed a bunch in. I normally try to see so many new releases. And this year was like a TV year because of the pandemic. Um, Yeah, I saw 50 movies this year, and I was struggling to get to 50. I saw 66, which is, I think, it's very high up there. I think I watched probably 30 of those in December and January. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's new. That's new movies of 2020. So I watched a lot more than that but 66 movies that came out in 2020 damn i feel like you had a big movie year like in the way that i found comfort in tv it seems like you found comfort in movies i did definitely there were there were a lot of marathons of just like today's a saturday i can't go anywhere i'm not doing anything i'm gonna watch five movies (laughs) nice nice um okay well let's end this episode with my favorite question um as we look onto a new year Still a lot of unknowns for the film industry. A lot of the movies that we anticipated last year didn't come out last year and might come out this year. Maybe they won't. Who knows? But I do like to ask, what is your most anticipated movie of 2021? Before, Actually, before I ask that, um, I do want to remind you, Lucas, of what your most anticipated movie of last year was. Both uh, of our most anticipated movies came out this year, which is shocking on its own. <laughs> Yeah, so yours last year was Soul. Um, how are you feeling about having that be your most anticipated and now you've seen it? I'm feeling good about it. It, di- it obviously didn't make my um, my top 10 list, but it, it, it was a good movie and I, I liked it a lot. And I think compared to most of the other movies that I was comparing against, it is the only one that actually made it out. So right. glad I picked it. Yeah. <laughs> the one- well, mine did not come out. And oh, it's- I thought yours was... A uh, trial of the Chicago Seven. No, um, that was not my official one. Um, ah, my official one was, was after- one of the ones that we talked about. It, probably, yeah. No, my official one was after Yang from Koganada. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was. Yeah, yeah and that did not come out. That did not come out, and 
I don't even know if it's going to come out in 2021. There is no set release date. There's, yeah. you know, it is, that movie is up in the air. So <laughs> still very much anticipating it. Um, Nick, did you have any movies at the beginning of 2020 that you were highly anticipating that did or did not meet expectations? Uh, I was, uh, okay, I am an MCU person. I think I started listening to your show when you uh, were consistently doing MCU movies. Um, yeah. I was expecting to see Black Widow this year, um, and we didn't. Um, so that's a thing. Uh, anticipating going into it, uh, I would have said, I don't know, I probably would have said Black Widow. I would have said yeah. Soul. I would have yeah. said Soul. Um, cause I'm, I'm like very much into, um, in this last decade I've kind of fallen off, but historically very big on Pixar. Um, yeah, well worthy of it. Um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about what we're looking forward to in 2021. Lucas, what's your most anticipated? Okay. There's a lot of movies to choose from. The release dates keep moving around. Let's, um, let's talk about your number one and then let's all talk about like what all of our runners ups are. Cause there's so many to look forward to right now. There are. Okay, so the one that I think I'm going to put as my number one is a movie with a guaranteed, it's guaranteed to come out this year because it's coming out on Netflix. It is The Harder They Fall. It is, um, which, unsurprising to anybody who knows about this movie, <laughs> um, that it is definitely my my highest my highest anticipated um, movie of, of 2021. This is a movie starring Regina King and Idris Elba. It's got Lakeith Stanfield, Zazie Beetz, Jonathan Majors, Doroy Lindo. I feel like all the people we're talking about this year for the Oscars are in this movie. Um, this is a Western about a man who is looking for revenge. Um, and I am very pumped about this movie. <laughs> yeah, this has got your name written all over it. All over um, it. Well, I, I'm really hoping that like that meets all of your expectations. I'm glad that you have the comfort of knowing that it will be coming out. Um, yes, <laughs> that's so that's a comfort that you know we we don't all have at the moment. Um, Nick, what is your most anticipated movie of 2021? I mean, I have my I'm self conscious, but I'm gonna be honest answer, and then I have my like less self conscious answer. I am going to level with you and say that I am very excited for Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson Batman movie. I, oh, like, yeah. I know that there are so many of these DC movies, and I know that so many of them are bad, but this trailer came out. We got Nirvana as the soundtrack. We got Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. We've got, like, you know, emo teen Bruce Wayne. Like, I will be seeing this movie. The trailer was rad. Uh, it It could be garbage, but I'm going to be excited no matter what. And then in my less self-conscious answer, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah looks fucking great. Yeah. I mean, I, we're all, I think, very much anticipating that. Um, oh, no, wait. Yeah. Well, my most anticipated movie is um, a new movie from Michael Showalter. And, you know, he directed The Lovebirds, like you mentioned. But I, I didn't see The Lovebirds, but I did love... Um, uh, the Big Sick and Hello, My Name is Doris. I think we're both like really special movies. And his newest movie is called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And it's about Tammy Faye Baker, the like um, really eccentric Christian televangelist. Um, it's about her and, and Jim Baker, her husband. And 
that subject matter, I think, is already, like, super interesting, especially coming from Michael Showalter. But what really, like, seals the deal for making this most anticipated for me is that Jim Baker and Tammy Faye Baker are played by Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain. And those are two actors I adore. And Andrew Garfield is a performer whose career I will always be following. And to see him play a televangelist is, I think, going to be very exciting. So the eyes of Tammy Faye, really, really looking forward to. Um, Can I, I tell you something? Yeah. I knew you were going to pick this movie. <laughs> uh, of course you did. I mean, I'm pretty predictable if there's an Andrew Garfield movie. I'm probably so going to pick that's it. That's what I did. I was like, I don't know what she's going to pick. So I'm going to search for Andrew Garfield on IMDb and I'm going <laughs> to see what movies he has coming out. And it was between The Eyes of Tammy Faye and Tick, Tick, Boom, the Lin-Manuel Miranda um, musical coming to Netflix. And I was like, one of those, th- those are both good picks. I don't know which to choose. And I chose the eye of Tammy Faye. So I'm, 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 I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I'm proud of you too. I'm it's, it's nice to be known. Um, so speaking of tick, tick, boom, let's talk about some of our like runner up, some other movies like, that we're all excited about. Tick, tick, boom is definitely on my list. It's a yep. <laughs> Lin-Manuel directed musical starring Andrew Garfield. So check, check, check. Um, I'm excited for After Yang, like I mentioned. Still excited for that. Uh, I'm excited for Zola. Um, I talked about this last year on our Most Anticipated, but it didn't come out. So here's hoping that this year. I think it's A24. It's um, starring Riley Keough. It's about a Twitter thread that went viral. Can't. It had an amazing um, reviews coming out of Sundance last year. So really excited. Um, In the Heights... I can't wait to see a big musical, just like a big, fun musical. And in the heights, I think it's going to bring that. Um, I have some more action-oriented ones, but first I want to hear some more of y'all's runner-ups. I think for me, Last Night in Soho is very high up there. Andrew Wright's new movie, um, written by um, him and uh, Christy Wilson-Carnes, who wrote uh, 1917, starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith. Big fan um, of both of them. I'm I love Edgar Wright, and I can't wait to uh, to see that movie. Yeah, that's absolutely on my list too. And you know, a lot of mine are going to be actiony things, but um, that that is one that in particular I am looking forward to and just appreciating like the film of it all because Edgar Wright is just such a fun guy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, what about you? Some runner ups that you have. I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but um, Nomadland got me so curious about Eternals. I know nothing about the the comics. Um, I, you know, do all the MCU things. I'm doing WandaVision right now, and I have no idea how to feel about it. But um, Eternals is Chloe Zhao. We got Kumail in there. Um, some other folks. Uh, I'm curious about that. Black Widow might be fun. Um, if we do, in fact, get Spider-Man 3, um, not the garbage 2007 Spider-Man 3, but uh, untitled Tom Holland uh, MCU picture, that could be super fun. Um, I need to get more in touch with the artistic movies coming out this year because all of <laughs> mine are like, I want to be in the theater watching fun action-y things, um, but that's that's pretty much my list. Yeah. I mean, I've, I am not getting my hopes tied to any of the fun action things because I just don't <laughs> want to be disappointed again when they move for the like the eighth time. <laughs> um, sure. But like Dune, Dune and No Time to Die are definitely up there yes. for me as ones that yeah. I'm so pumped I mean, to see. Let me also say from all like 
everyone I talk to that, like, is into film, I feel like the answer that everyone's saying is Dune. Like, Dune is the thing we're all, like, holding our breath for, right? Um, and I also just, on a, from an action perspective, I don't know when they'll come out, if they'll be coming out, but I'm really excited about F9 and Mission Impossible 7. Um, more so F9, because I know that that's, like, a finished movie that's, like, ready to come out, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so really, really can't wait for the opportunity to see those. I kind of forgot that Mission Impossible 7 is that close to coming out. I, it was my number two movie of, uh, or Fallout was my number two movie of 2018. So like, I am down for any Chris McQuarrie, you know, shenanigans. So if that indeed comes out this year, I'll be very jazzed. Awesome. Well, let's all just keep our fingers crossed, say our prayers, um, that the movies we want will be coming out and that, you know, we get a hold of this pandemic in a way that we can co- go to theaters at some point soon. Um, I'm so glad to have had this conversation with y'all and to like yeah. recap what our 2020 was like in film. Um, this was a blast. This was great. And thank you for having me, especially for such a, a monumental episode of the year. This was great. Thank you for coming on, Nick. We love having Absolutely. a third person to like join in on this episode. So um, why don't we each say where people can find us online? Nick, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, I am Nick Asardo on Twitter. Uh, Asardo's A-S-S-A-R-D-O. Um, I'm Nick A on Letterboxd. Um, boy, did I get lucky. Uh, Nick <laughs> A, no one else took it. Um, and uh, I'm at Nick Groney uh, on Instagram, um, at N-I-C-K-G-R-O-N-I. I love uh, posting stuff about cocktails, which uh, surprisingly less frequent in quarantine. But uh, yeah, Nick Roney. There we go. Wonderful. Lucas? Um, you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Definitely check out my letterbox, which in January has already <laughs> listed, I think, 30 films. <laughs> so... <laughs> really going hard this year yeah you can all three of us are in letterbox and you should definitely follow us there because we're all three pretty active um you can find me on all social media platforms at sandra omstutz my last name is spelled a-m-s-t-u-t-z and you can follow us on twitter at the podcast at feeling it pod thanks for joining us for another year bye-bye bye thank you goodbye now goodbye go away i'll see you soon okay that's it Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 